Handle on the News. Handle on the News! And now, here's Bill Handle. Here we start. Uh, handle here on uh, May 21st. No, it's not May. Yes. It is? Yeah. It is May. Why did I think it was... Uh, what did you think it was? Uh, September, October? <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> if it was September, you'd be out buying me a birthday present, right? Uh, no. Oh. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Because even if you told me what your birthday was, I'd forget. If you told me your birthday was tomorrow, I'd forget by the end of the show. If you told him your birthday was right now, <laughs> I'd say he would have already forgotten. That's correct. Uh, yeah. Anyway, fair enough. Uh, let's say hello to the crowd. Uh, there is uh, the lovely Jennifer. Hello. And Wayne Resnick. I feel that we should make it clear the reason that you forget is not because you have a bad memory. It's because you don't care. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I, oh I totally. absolutely do not care one iota. None at all. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and hello to everybody else. Uh, hi, everybody. Okay. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. It's just, it's one of those things. You know, for some reason this morning I woke up and uh, it's weird. I'm going through one of those and I don't know why. Uh, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, I've sort of mixed everybody up. Dates, people. It's just, it's a bizarre situation. It's a foggy morning. Uh, it is. I, I rarely have those. Yeah. But this morning is uh, just just a foggy morning trying to figure out uh, Mike Pompeo and he's secretary of, yeah, he went from there to there, but he was there and now he's here. And uh, then Rex Tillerson was there. He's gone. Right. Yeah. And I know Donald Trump's still the president. Yeah. yeah. Mike Pence is still the vice president. I know that. I know that. Melania is still the first lady. That is correct. Marjorie is still your wife. Yeah. (laughs) I just think that that through for a moment. Luckily, uh, the sun sun of Handle on the News is rising to burn off the fog. There you go. Thank you for bringing us into that. I appreciate that so much. Okay, guys, let's do it. Lead story. I got guns in my head and they won't go. Spirits in my head and they won't go. I got guns in my head and All they right. won't go. The guy who ended up uh, doing the uh, shooting in Texas at the high school, Dimitrios Pagurtsis, uh, or is that right? Yeah. Pagurtsis, or Cis, uh, 17 years old. Looks like he was studying... Previous mass shootings. See, it's how would we have known and should we have guessed that this guy was, that this kid was going to do that, right? Because in hindsight, there he was studying this and we should have known. And here is the problem as we look into it. No previous record, no record of craziness at all. And how many people do you think study previous mass shootings in this country at any given time? Tens of thousands at any given time. Sure. Every academic out there, everybody who's interested out there, everybody who's worried about it, everybody who's just interested in general. 
Here's the thing, though, and I didn't know this until I talked to Jim Ryan this morning. Apparently, this kid is notorious for wearing a trench coat to school. Mm. And he That's- had... So there's Columbine-esque yeah, behavior but there, but there's the other thing. I said he wore... Remember we talked about it? He wore a trench coat instantly... That is a sign that there's a problem. And my God, this it's warm. This kid's wearing a trench coat. He always wore a trench coat. Yeah. People th- that was just who he was. He and they often thought that's really weird. I know, but weird is very different than deadly. I just wish I mean, there that- are a lot of kids in high school that are weird. Well, yeah. And, and you know that the, the students are split on him. About half the students said, Wow, this is a shocker that he would do something like this. And the other half said, yeah, he was kind of weird and and quiet and a loner. So he wasn't universally thought of as a weirdo in that school. And he played on the football team, and he was actually pretty good. And there's no uh, big record of him getting weird on the Internet beforehand. Uh, I mean, he looked at stuff, but look at the stuff that we look at here. We could be arrested tomorrow afternoon for the stuff that we look at. They think, though, as far as motive, because they're still trying to figure this out, but the, apparently the very first person that he shot and killed was a girl who had been turning him down. Yes. Kind of refuting his Retribution. advances. Retribution. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's another incel yes. situation here, perhaps. Yeah. The good thing is, if there's anything that's good, is that because he's still alive, and apparently he's talking, and he's cooperating. Right. He's so waived all Miranda rights. At, at least... Just- They'll get information right. from him. He's also a gutless wonder, too. Before they give him the death penalty. Uh, he was, uh, the plan was for him to kill as many people as possible and then for him to shoot himself. And instead, not only did he not shoot himself, the second a cop walks up, he threw him, his hands up, surrendered, put the gun down. I mean, without incidents. And he, I think he almost surrendered before the cops walked in the room. He may have surrendered to the door. For all we know. And, uh, yeah, and he's talking. I mean, he's way up there. Let's take a break. Uh, We'll come back and uh, jump right into it because, of course, uh, this shooting has uh, now uh, created a wave of gun control issues and uh, also your chance to win $1,000. Good morning on a Monday, May 21st. And uh, back we go. More handle on the news. But first, your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. The winner is notified with a phone call, which you must answer. Like Denman and La Habra did, he won $1,000. Next chance to win, next hour. Yeah, if you actually um, count the time, if you start looking at the time we started uh, the $1,000 giveaway, and by the time the contra- uh, the contest is over, and you just add interest to from the time we started, uh, it'll be $1.2 billion that we're going to give away. I just want to let you know that uh, if I were you, I'd wait eight years. Just hold on to it. Before calling in. $1,000 giveaway, 20 minutes uh, after the hour, every hour. I'm making a lot of fun of this. Yeah, Robin's just, uh, Robin has just stopped harassing me. She just throws her arms up in the air. I mean, it doesn't even bother anymore. 
Okay, guys, uh, back we go. And now we're going to go through fairly quickly because we're on story number two and we keep on going. Big story. Let's go. Handle on the news. Jennifer Jones-Lee, Wayne Resnick, and me. And you have the lieutenant governor of Texas saying teachers need guns. I got guns in my head. Everything is at fault uh, other than guns. Uh, the NRA, also, the violent culture, Ritalin is the problem, not guns. And so the answer to for many people is, of course, you arm the teachers, you harden the school. And I, I, I'm assuming training the teachers like police officers because uh, it almost has to default if you don't quickly aim. And, of course, if the gunman know that it's the teachers that are armed, what are they going to do? Shoot them first. First thing, shoot them. Then, well, there should be another student that was armed. Some of the students should be armed. That's the way to save this this situation. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later, but uh, a realization has come down on me, uh, a resignation that is really very, very depressing, uh, at least for me. All right, let's move on. Well, uh, poor Hawaii. They cannot catch a break from this volcano. Volcano! First, of course, the lava came out. Then you had all that sulfur dioxide. And now, Lay's. Take lava and haze, smash them together. It's called Lay's, and it's what happens when the lava hits the ocean and you get hydrochloric acid and you actually get particles of volcanic glass just spewing around in the air. And that has happened now. And two people died already because of well, this? Well, two people died in 2000 oh, okay. when this happened. And the, and the reason they're reporting that is to let you know that this can be deadly. Yeah, this is not fun to be near a, a <sighs> volcano. This is just... The only thing that I guess is reasonably good news is you don't have to be too far away uh, where it becomes fairly safe. For example, where it hits the ocean, they're talking about a 300-meter uh, radius. Yeah. I mean, that's not very much, a thousand feet. Uh, and if you're at 2,000 or 3,000 feet, it's, uh, you're, you're safe, but still. Although they, the, the sulfur dioxide emissions have tripled now. Yeah, crazy. Uh, according they to the still said there. that, like, this is only affecting 5% of the island. And they said if you go 25 miles away from this, you're in Hilo. And they said it's fine there, that the air quality is fine, that everybody's yeah. fine. In so. the meantime, let's talk about how many cancellations there are going uh, to the big island. They said up to 50% as of right now. It's crazy, crazy, isn't it? Well, uh, President Trump wants some answers, and he's demanding an investigation. Now, he is asking for the investigation of the FBI putting an informant into the campaign of Donald Trump. Uh, based on the fact that they were looking at collusion with the Russians. And what Donald Trump is doing or asking is let's look into that with another prosecutor. And if it turns out there was a spy put in there for political purposes, not for a criminal investigation, uh, then it is horrible. But here is what I'll tell you is going on right now. There are also reports that uh, the Trump administration is already writing their report to contradict what the Justice Department is saying. And it does not matter what comes out of the Justice Department. That will be fake news. And the real news will be what we have produced. And you watch this happen. Even indictments are witch hunts. Uh, there is no criminality at all. The Justice Department is making it up to uh, invalidate the Trump administration's win uh, during the election. That's that's where it's come to. It's uh, just 
It's so depressing, all of it. I just feel like the president could spin this his way. He's going way. to. He's already planning on it. Well, but he can say, hey, if they did infiltrate me during the election, it was then for, they were they didn't find anything. Right. Or if they did, Even it if didn't they come did, out. they may very well, because indictments have already come down, but only for lying to the FBI at this point uh, are the indictments. But you're going to see some indictments uh, relating specifically to this. And you're going to, I mean, across the board, not the informant, uh, just in terms of collusion and dealing with the Russians and talking to them and knowing they were interfering uh, with the election and cooperating with that. And uh, it is, I guarantee you, those indictments will be fake news. I guarantee that those will be fake indictments. And here is the truth, what we're telling you, that this is McCarthyism. That's what this is. These are fake accusations. Uh, that's what's going to happen right up until the president ceases to be president. It's uh, very, very depressing. It really is. Uh, I, I don't even know what to say. Well, when we come back, maybe one tiny piece of good news coming out of all of this uh, investigation situation. Uh, eh, not really. Eh, I'm trying. I know you are. We'll right. see yeah. if people think it's a yeah. piece of good news. Yeah. All right. Jennifer Jones. I handle here on a uh, Monday, May twenty uh, first. All right, please donate to help the American Red Cross Initiative to get prepared, California. For your four hundred dollar donation, you and a guest can enjoy cocktails and appetizers with all the KFI hosts and crew, plus unlimited sky slide rides during an exclusive evening at the OUE Sky Space in downtown LA. You have to be twenty one. One hundred percent of the proceeds will benefit the American Red Cross Get Prepared California campaign. Limited tickets for detail. Log on to KFIAM640.com. The word to search is Mixer. All right, back we go. You know, you can have that until uh, we do the next uh, Get Prepared California, uh, the next mention in uh, three and a half minutes. Okay. Now, back we go. More handle on the news. Jennifer Jones Lee, Wayne Resnick, and me. Well, according to Rudy Giuliani, Mueller could be all done uh, looking at Trump by September 1. Please he said that on CNN. Up. Yeah. But he also said it's predicated on what, the arrangement and uh, whether or not Tr- uh, Mueller would sit down with Trump or answer questions under some way. So basically, it's pablum. That's assuming he said that Mueller said to him that we're going to go ahead and we'll finish this up, assuming that you sit down. Come in by a certain time. Yeah, yeah. and, well, here's what's going to happen. They're going to say no. There'll be a subpoena. That will go up in the courts, and you won't see a, uh, you you will not see a confrontation or a sit-down, either uh, via video or questions or a personal interview. You won't see that at all until the courts demand it, and it'll be a couple of years down the road. You watch. I don't think Donald Trump will ever sit down with Mueller, is my guess. He wants to, but his attorneys are saying no. And this is a man who listens to his attorneys and his staff and his cabinet members. Uh, As you know, Donald Trump truly listens. Hey, but my attorneys made me do it. 
Hey, the dog ate the homework. It's not my fault. I want to do this. I wanted to turn in the paper. Believe me, professor. The dog ate it. What am I going to do? Well, the mayor of Oakland, I would say, is doubling down. Libby, Libby, Libby. Yeah, Mr. President, I'm not obstructing justice. I'm seeking it. Oh, you know, boy, Libby. He, she still released the information there's going to be a federal raid. You can't do that. How can? How is that now it's uh, what it's seeking liberty. It's uh, seeking justice to stop, to make sure that an illegal federal raid on illegal aliens based on, I'm assuming, information and intelligence they got, that we're going, I'm going to stop, but that's justice. It's my duty to protect my residents, especially when our most vulnerable are unjustly attacked. See, that's the problem. Unjustly attacked. So she does not recognize that the federal government has the authority to go after people who are here illegally. And she decides what federal law will and will not be. Right. I mean, it can be unjust. I get that. But it's not her call. Does she not see she's poking the bear? Uh, no, even worse than that. Does she not see that she is obstructing justice? And, uh, yeah, she's poking the bear, but what are they going to do? It's going to be a court order. She'll just be ordered. They're not going to arrest her, although that would be terrific. I was going to say, if they go after her. Can you imagine the feds coming in and arresting her for obstruction? I think they're smart enough to know that then they make her into a hero uh, for the opposition. All right, here is some good news. Effective now. You want to hang out at Starbucks all day and not buy a thing? Go right ahead. Starbucks be jacking me up. Anyone who walks in, who goes onto their patio, who goes to their restroom, is considered a customer, even if they never buy anything. Now, That's I don't, I don't know policy. how big a change this is because I go to a Starbucks every once in a great while. For some reason, my kids like Starbucks, Barbara. And uh, she'll go to a Starbucks. You ever been in there and there isn't a place to sit down? Yeah. Because someone has bought one cup of coffee and they're there for three hours. Yeah. With their computer, with their laptop. Now, where this is going to, in fact, impact will be in uh, the poorer areas where uh, you see people, big signs saying, please bathe in our bathrooms. We have uh, made the sinks larger for you to sit in. and yeah, and the policy is you can only call the cops on someone if they're an immediate threat, right. not if they are a nuisance. So if a homeless person goes into a Starbucks, smells bad, has their all their stuff in there, can't call the cops under this policy because at that point, if, unless they're acting violently, you have to let them sit there. Two reporters for the Philadelphia Inquirer did an interesting thing to test this policy. One of them's black, one of them's white. They went to a Starbucks. They sat there, and not only did they not buy anything from the Starbucks, they were drinking coffee from a competitor in the Starbucks, and nobody said anything to them. So I guess they're serious about I'll tell you this. What, I'll tell you what's going to happen for the larger Starbucks is there is going to be a Pete's Coffee little kiosk <laughs> in the Starbucks. <laughs> they can't say and anything. They can't say a thing. 
All right. Oh, we're moving on? We're going to keep going? Uh, no, we can take a break. No. Okay. And uh, only because he kept on pointing at you and you delayed so long. And uh, I we'll... just thought we were going to break. Oh, it's actually, 42. Yeah, I get it. All I'm right. We'll, yeah, we'll be back. Don't worry about it. You watch me beat it till I can't breathe. All right. Pay a fly handle here. On a uh, Monday morning as we start another week, uh, some of the big stories that we're covering. Oh, yeah. Lieutenant, uh, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has outdone himself regarding the Santa Fe shootings. Uh, and we've got a lot going on with the Justice Department and President Trump and accusations. And it looks like there's going to be another special counsel investigating the special counsel. Well, investigating the FBI. And uh, I think the FBI is going to demand another special counsel. Investigating the special counsel that's investigating the FBI. It'll be a, uh, how apropos, it'll be a Russian nesting doll of special counsel. Well said. Well said. All right. Let's do more handle on the news. Just a bizarre story. A dad intentionally crashed his car into a restaurant, killing his daughter, but it's his daughter wasn't in the car. This dad intentionally sat his family near the front door of this restaurant in North Carolina then goes and gets in his car and then plows into the restaurant right into where they're sitting. That's special. And then his uh, daughter-in-law also, right? Right next to uh, the daughter. So he kills them both. Yeah. Very special. Okay, another neglect. And here's another, yeah, here's another very special couple. Uh, Authorities went to a storage facility up in Sacramento and found the body of a dead child. Oh. And uh, what they think happened here is uh, this couple from Reno, their child died, five-year-old daughter, and they decided to take the body and put it in a storage locker in Sacramento. And the child had been severely neglected prior to death. So uh, you're going to see right now, I think they're picked up for manslaughter, uh, but this may turn into uh, a murder charge, I'm sure, based on the... Uh, unfortunately, based on the body, investigation of the body, the autopsy. Mm-hmm. You watch. Well, the mayor of Menifee unexpectedly died over the weekend. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, 65 years old, Neil Winter. They said he was in full cardiac arrest Saturday night and died. Yeah. And he was only elected to the city council in 2016. Right. So It's one of those things where I think you're going to see very few people running for mayor of Menifee. It's like Tutankhamun's tomb. Uh, everybody getting involved dies. Oh, all right. And uh, Patricia Morrison with one R has also passed away. She was 103. Wow. And she was a Broadway star, Hollywood star. Oh, yeah. She had one of the first dilemmas in show business of this kind. She was offered. To be the lead in Kiss Me Kate, the musical Kiss Me Kate, Cole Porter. And this was 1947. She may, I don't know if she was the very first, but one of the first people to ever have to juggle a Broadway show with a TV show. Back and forth, same yeah. time. Ah. Well, they filmed her part, they decided to film her parts on the TV show very quickly, right. like in a two week period. She was also on Broadway uh, with Yul Brenner uh, yes. in The King, King and, and I. I. Right. Yeah. She did a lot of things. She was in movies with. Uh, Spencer Tracy, Catherine now, Hepburn. 103 years not old. Natural causes Good at her, for home. her Never married, lived in an apartment, and uh, in the apartment had a piano, and on the piano signed photos from Cole Porter and Oscar uh, Hammerstein II. Wow. Wow. The King and I was the first play I was ever in. I was four. 
and I was cast oh. as one of the bratty kids. Oh, I thought you were cra- uh, oh, cast in the Yul Brenner role where they <laughs> shaved your head. Oh, it very much was typecasting. That was easy for that role. Right. Handle, you passed it, but apparently a lot of people aren't passing the bar in California. The pass rate for the February exam sank to just 27.3%. Why handle? A bunch of reasons. Uh, First of all, because the quality of students is lower because a lot of smart people are not going to law school because you can't get a job. And so a lot of people default to go to law school. I defaulted. Uh, It was just because I had nothing else to do. I was not, uh, now what the hell do I do with my life? You know, Jewish kid, uh, one of two choices. Uh, You go to law school if you're afraid of blood, if you're afraid of the sight of blood. Uh, you end up going to law school as opposed to medical school. I truly did default uh, to uh, going there. I think there's a lot of, uh, of more of that going on. Uh, so top students are not going. Uh, and so you've got uh, just, uh, it's, it's very, the schools, a proliferation of just bad schools. We were just there. talking about too, though, in the hallway, just about how much time you had to spend studying oh, months, for that exam. Months. Do you think that people are just like, eh? No, no, no. I think uh, just gonna try it and see if yeah, wing yeah. it and see if I make. And then it a lot of, of people pass uh, the second, third, fourth time out. Uh, and if you're going to be taking the pass, uh, if you're going to take the bar the second time because you failed the first time, then your chances of passing it drop again. Uh, the bar is, and they're and they're trying to get. The bar, the the lower, the lower the score to pass, and uh, the Supreme Court is saying no, no thanks. And when I used to tell students, I used to go around when I was president of the alumni association at my school. I'd be going to colleges, and people would ask, "So how do you prepare for law school?" And and this is the truth. I would smile and say, "Cocaine." Oh God. For real, because that's I took the bar ripped on cocaine. I'm a big believer. And in, you passed. I, Were first, you about to say you're a big believer in cocaine? <laughs> only to take the bar. Oh, I see. Yeah, and I did pass first time out. That's a miracle. He's kidding. About passing the first time out? No, about being a fan you're of kidding about the bar on cocaine. cocaine. Yeah. Oh, to take the bar? Absolutely. Oh, you're not kidding. No. Oh. You're 100% serious. Oh, yeah, I work. People should take cocaine to pass the state bar. Work for me. <laughs> I know a uh, teenage boy who needs a lawyer right now. John. So, uh, 14-year-old boy pretended to be an NYPD officer, goes up to a legally blind man, uh, I guess at the subway, offers to help him through the turnstile, and then uh, unzips his backpack and takes the guy's wallet. Lovely, huh? And charges 500 bucks at a store nearby. Great. Now, tell me this kid isn't going to be a success in life. What is wrong with you this morning? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, yeah, I really do think we are done. All right. You should start a uh, a bar prep course, <laughs> Bill. I actually should. You know, first of all, you pass out straws. Handle. Oh. What? Okay. All right. I'm not very serious. Well, I am about me, but that's the rest of it. All right. Coming up. Can schools be protected from shootings? We're going to talk to a former FBI agent, Steve Gomez. Uh, We know the attorney, uh, lieutenant, uh, or the lieutenant governor of uh, Texas says it's not about guns. It has nothing to do with guns, even if it's shooting. So we'll talk to uh, the former FBI agent coming up. KFI AM 640. Tell me why I don't like money. Tell me why I don't like money. 
KFI handle here on a Monday morning. Big uh, stories that we're following. Uh, the Santa Fe shooting. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Uh, Rudy Giuliani says that uh, Mueller is aiming to finish the probe uh, on uh, the president and his cohorts uh, during uh, the campaign, the Russian inter- intervention, which it's not going to happen for all kinds of reasons. We'll talk about that later. All right. Uh, now, I want to introduce you to a uh, former FBI agent, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Steve Gomez, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the kind of security that happens around school. And uh, just before we get to Steve, uh, I just want to uh, come up, uh, tell you that my thinking, That's uh, and I'm getting closer and closer to this. And I started thinking about this process, and I finished up uh, coming to the conclusion that, first of all, the gun lobby is one. I mean, we're done. Uh, even if they were to stop all guns from being sold tomorrow, there's 200, 300, uh, 100 million guns out there. And so uh, you're never going to stop this. All you can do is prepare for the next one that comes. It's a given now that schools will be attacked, that schools are now gun central, and it's uh, pretty depressing. Uh, so, Steve, uh, thanks for joining us. So my comment that we simply have to accept the fact that school shootings are now going to be part and parcel of uh, the, the, the American story, and all you can do is try to uh, either harden the schools, uh, arm the teachers, just make it more difficult. Is that fair to say? I absolutely agree with what you said, and, and uh, good morning to everybody. Thank you for having me. Um, yes. This is, this is a problem that is not going away. Um, we have seen school shooting after school shooting time and time again. There's been at least 10 in 2018. Since Parkland, there's been at least six. And, uh, you know, it just depends on how you, you know, you calculate the situation. And so we have to assume that this is going to happen again. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I also have been telling all my friends on soccer fields and, you know, at the coffee shops, that uh, we as parents, I, I have a high schooler. I have got a ninth grader. She's just finishing up. And we cannot sit back and wait for the federal government or even the state government to do something about this. We as parents have to mobilize. We have to engage with the schools, the uh, school administrators, districts, faculty. And we have to ask the hard question, which is, what are you going to do to prevent a kid from walking into my daughter's school with a gun and shooting everybody. All right, and you got they got they got to have a good answer for that. All right, well, let, they're going to go to you. Uh, you're the one that's the uh, former FBI agent. You understand weaponry. So uh, let's say you've just been hired as a consultant. Absolutely. Okay. All right, give me some answers. What what does a school do to minimize the chances of the scenario exactly as you just described? Let's break this down. Okay, it starts with the school infrastructure. Okay, is it an open campus where students, visitors can just come onto the campus from all different directions? Or is the campus um, limited as far as it has the proper fencing and gates to ensure that there are only one or two entrances and exits? Okay, you want, you want to start with that. Then you also want to have security professionals, whether they are school resource officers, um, um, security guards that are armed and licensed. You want to make sure that you have the proper amount of security professionals they're on the campus. They need to be trained for emergency matters, trained in tactics, and they also have to have the ability to observe and to notice suspicious behavior and to have that ability to confront p- 
people, whether it's students or visitors, to ask them, hey, why are you wearing a trench coat when it's 90 degrees and humid in, in Houston or, or something like that? You know, if they have a big bag, you know, hey, I'd like to take a look at that bag. You got to look at maybe some um, some metal detectors or maybe even the metal wand. Because I'll tell you right now, the first time or second time that these security officers are confronting students or asking them to go through the metal detectors, the students are going to start pausing and thinking, well, you know, I was thinking about bringing a gun into the school. Maybe I shouldn't do that. There's going to be some pause there. And that's what you want. You want people to start thinking, hey, this school's taking security seriously. Now, here's the most important thing, though, and this goes towards prevention. It's something that we did after 9-11. I was working counterterrorism after 9-11, and our approach was no stone goes unturned. So what that means is you have to have a notification process in place by the school to where if there is any information about a student that is suspicious, they're exhibiting violent tendencies, they are um, threatening somebody, maybe they just broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, and now they're, uh, you know, there's a lot of friction and there's some anger going on. You have to have an ability for people to report that into the school, and then you have to have a process in place with the school, faculty, you know, maybe some counselors, maybe some mental health. You know, maybe you get some private security professionals involved and you say, OK, wh- what do we got here? What is this student? You know, what are they doing? You know, are they posting social media posts that are disturbing with guns and knives or maybe something that says born to kill? And then you got to take action. And that means you got to be prepared to go to the parents, talk to the parents and ask the parents, do you own guns? Do you have guns at the house? And have the, has that kid been trained on how to shoot those guns? Do they have the capability and access to those guns? Okay. Those are some hard questions that have to be asked. And then law enforcement, they got to coordinate with law enforcement. And if law enforcement is saying, hey, you know what, this doesn't rise to the level of a crime, we can't do anything. Well, that falls into what I call the gray area. So that means that the school has to think about, okay, what are we going to do? If law enforcement's not going to do anything, maybe we need to get some private security personnel involved. And maybe they got to do a little bit of work on the private end. How do you feel about teachers being armed? Because that seems to be uh, the uh, sort of the answer du jour uh, coming out of Texas, certainly. I'm glad you asked that question, and all I can say is that is a horrible idea, and here's why. A teacher having a gun, it's not just about giving them a gun and teaching them how to shoot at a target. That, that's, that Anybody can do that, but when you're talking about putting a gun into a classroom, that teacher is going to have to have that gun on their body at all times, and this is something that law enforcement officers are taught from the very beginning, and it's reminded every day. It's about tactics. It's about gun safety. You've got to make sure that that gun is protected at all times. And, and I can't tell you how many stories there are where somebody took a law enforcement officer's gun away and used it on them. I mean, that was the biggest fear I had at LAPD and at the FBI. You, you can't be in a situation where you, your gun is going to be taken away. I mean, that, that's a concern, and that's why you yeah. usually have partners especially with someone, and people around. Yeah, especially when someone is not trained the way police officers are, uh, are. Exactly. All right. Exactly. And the reason why people are saying those things about arming teachers is because they, they don't even understand that concept of tactics and gun safety because they've never swam in that water of being a law enforcement officer out in the mm. street you know, protecting their gun. That's why law enforcement officers have backup weapons, just in case that happens. Their gun doesn't fire or somebody takes it away. They need a backup weapon. I mean, what, now we're going to give teachers backup weapons? Yeah, crazy. I mean, you could, you could, yeah, it's crazy. Right. It's a horrible idea. All right, Steve, I, I, I've got, I, I, yeah, I've got yeah, to cut yeah. you off because we are out of time, but thank you so much for uh, your insight. And uh, it is uh, exactly, unfortunately, just accept the fact that it's there. It's now the new normal. Oh, good God. All right, now we're going to take a break, come back. 
uh, a little bit about the inquiry uh, that the president is demanding and also your chance to win a thousand dollars. All right, Jennifer. Yeah, by handle here on a Monday, May 21. Here's your chance to win some money. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. They notify the winner by calling them. You have to pick up that call. Joyce and Artesia did, and she is $1,000 richer. Your next chance to win next hour. All right. Uh, the president has uh, and would, any president would, take advantage of attacking any attack. And uh, that's obviously an offensive move. Up to this point, in terms of uh, the Russia itch situation, the collusion, and that is members of the Trump campaign colluding with Russia to alter the campaign, to have Trump win. It's an accusation that uh, Mueller is uh, just going balls to the walls with. And if it turns out that there was, and we know there were discussions between uh, highly placed members of the campaign and Russians, and at first uh, denied that it ever happened, denied that it ever talked about. Remember the uh, the meeting with uh, Kushner and uh, what the Russian lawyer and uh, also with uh, Don Jr., uh, it was all about adoptions. That's all it was. And then that changed to, it was about dirt on Hillary, which is legitimate, except if it's Russians that are providing that for purposes of interfering with the election, that's the crime. That you can't do. So immediately after the story broke that it was, in fact, uh, it was not about adoptions, then the entire Trump administration went into defensive mode. Uh, it's a witch hunt. Uh, the whole thing is a hoax. None of it is true. Uh, the Mueller, uh, the uh, Mueller investigation is crap. Just trying to derail the thought that it was a legitimate election to delegitimize de- the entire election of Donald Trump. Well, now step number three. Let's attack the investigation itself. Well, let's attack the FBI because story, a story broke that there was an FBI informant that was part of the campaign. So here is the question, and that is, was that informant put into the campaign to investigate the Russian intervention? Because already even under Barack Obama, there was uh, indications, there was evidence that there was an inve- that there was collusion, that there were the Russians were, in fact, meddling. And so the FBI gets, of course, gets to do the investigation. And we know that an FBI informant was put into the campaign or dealt with a campaign. Now, there are two issues there. If it was to investigate uh, the collusion charge, investigate the Russians even meddling under any circumstances, which is illegal, that's legitimate. If it was to derail the campaign... That is not legitimate. Well, of course, the president is uh, taking the position instantly. It's to derail the campaign. That's what it's all about. Any investigation is not legitimate of the Trump administration. There is no such thing as a legitimate investigation of any wrongdoing by anybody in the Trump administration. That's that is exactly the position. So now 
we have news that there was an informant. And what the president is now demanding, and it will happen because the president had the authority to do that, there will be an investigation of the FBI by putting an informant in there. And the president, uh, the administration is already preparing for uh, Mueller to come out with a recommendation to the Department of Justice go forward and uh, go after uh, people that were involved in the Russian meddling. And you know that's going to happen. There have already been indictments that are handed down. Uh, Now, up to this point, the Americans who've been indicted uh, were indicted and charged with simply lying to the FBI about their contacts with the Russians. Not the the underlying case. Just you lied about it. And you can't. You go down very quickly when you lie to uh, the FBI. But it's just, or to any investigation, you can't do it. So... What is happening now is that decision is being made. There will now be a Department of Justice investigation of the FBI. And the president is, they're now preparing for any decision that Mueller makes that is negative towards anybody involved in the campaign or the administration. And they're going to come out with their own story. The day that a report is released by the Mueller folks the FBI investigation, there will be a similar report that is going to come out from the administration saying that it's all a lie, it's all a hoax, it's all politically motivated, and indictments are unfair. It's Joe McCarthy. There is no possibility that anybody in the Trump administration ever did anything wrong. And any accusation to the contrary is a hoax, It is fake news. It is a lie. It is politically motivated. And that is going to be our presidency, the fight between the president and and his own administration, his Justice Department, his FBI. It's very depressing stuff, to say the least. Uh, Just, I mean, what do you do? These are crazy, crazy days with the shootings and, uh, and trying to rationalize those. And just, we go on and on. All right, uh, coming up, Moolah Monday. Let's at least talk about some money here, because that's always fun. Money talks. I'm deep. I'm, you know, just telling you. Here comes the money. In many ways. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep, that's uh, Guy Adami music. Hello, Guy. Hello, Bill. Yeah, we. You know, it's getting better and better introducing you. You know that. Well, I mean, it should get better. It's like it's like your California wines. They should uh, age nicely, like from Stag's Leap or something. Uh, it, precisely. Uh, although I'm not a wine drinker, so um, oh, it, so it means yeah, nothing to you. Yeah, I, I know Ripple. Uh, and a great Grateful Dead song. Uh, yeah, and I should know that too. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously Guy Adami time. Uh, Moolah Monday. All right, I want to start with uh, something that was stunning for me, absolutely stunning, especially in the aftermath. And that had to do with uh, this uh, Chinese telecom equipment company, ZTE, mm-hmm. that had uh, just was being nailed by uh, penalties uh, to penal- for violating U.S. sanctions. And so, okay, you violate sanctions. It's a huge um, provider of telecom equipment in the United States. And uh, they screwed the uh, the sanctions, or they screwed up and uh, violated our laws, our policy. We threw sanctions at them, and they kept on violating. 
And so uh, no question about it. Then the president comes back during the course of the negotiations with China and undoes all of that uh, with uh, ZTE, helps them survive, and actually tweets, too many jobs in China lost. (laughs) Why didn't this blow up after America first and all we care about is American jobs and we're now changing U.S. policy to help Chinese jobs? Amazing. And not only companies told their employees not to buy products made by this company, they're a national security risk. I mean, to your point, everything you just spoke to, and then the president backs, you know, back, well, backs down, basically says Chinese are losing jobs, need to help. And the short answer is, again, he favors and fashions himself the great negotiator of all time, art of the deal. And maybe in order to get the, the Chinese um, deal that he wants in terms of fair trade, he needed to sacrifice this. And maybe there's something in the works where we can continue to monitor these folks. And he felt this was a reasonable trade-off if, in fact, we're going to whittle down our basically trade imbalance yeah. with China. That, to me, is the read-through. Okay. Now, whether it's, it, whether, it's, whether it's good or not, I can't speak to it. But that's the way I read this yeah. whole thing. And I don't disagree. There may be something in the background uh, where they are talking about this trade, uh, the imbalance, although I have no idea how we're going to overcome that because I was reading effectively the Chinese buy soybeans and Boeing airplanes from us. And that's, that's And that's basically it. And we buy everything from them. So I don't know how you undo a trade balance under those circumstances. But just uh, – and I just want your opinion on this because uh, I we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But just him saying too many Chinese jobs have been lost, how does that not blow up? It was shocking. I, when I saw that, I'm like, wait, did, did somebody hack his Twitter account? I thought that was a joke. At, I thought it was one of those – Fugazi President Trump accounts where it looks like it, but it's not. I, I've, I really have no idea. But I think to answer your question, maybe the populace feels, you know, he's been here now 15, 16 months, give or take, and they feel that his body of work lends itself to giving him the benefit of the doubt on this. And they're saying, you know what? If the president feels he's got to trade this for the greater good, then maybe it's okay. When I saw it, I was dumbfounded, as were you. But nobody seems. It's what's amazing is Bill. Nobody really seems to care. It wasn't even. It barely made the. It made the headlines, but nobody really dwelled on that. It was remarkable to me. Mm. All right, uh, the China trade, uh, in terms of uh, the sanctions, the tariffs, none of that has really happened yet, has it? No. And Steve Mnuchin just came out and said effectively they're putting the 150 billion dollars ish worth of tariffs on hold. Um, they're abandoning, I mean, the, the language I saw is we're going to abandon the trade war, the tariffs. Uh, you know, we'll see. I, the rhetoric goes back and forth. You know, Mnuchin says one thing, Kudlow says something else, the president says something else. They, there does not seem to be a common voice, but maybe that's their game plan. You know, maybe it's, you know, a lot of head fakes and a lot of misdirection to get the, their ultimate goal. Again, I can't speak to it, but clearly in my world, the market likes it because as we speak now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up some 300 points. And, you know, the market's taking that as sort of an all-clear sign until I would imagine the next sort of bogey out there is this North Korean summit, if it happens, and if, you know, what are the, what are the, 
what happens if, in fact, it does happen? Do people get up and walk away from the table? Is there some accord? Is there more acrimony? I think that's the next um, hurdle for the marketplace. And I think that comes, if I'm not mistaken, in a few weeks. Yeah, June 12th. All right. Uh, let me stick you on hold. I want to come back and talk about student loans mm. uh, and big, big news about that, which actually turns out to be pretty small news, but it, the philosophy part of it is fascinating. We'll be right back with uh, Guy Adami and Mula Monday. In the My financial bro. There was no sincerity in that. Give me some money. Give me some money. All right, KFI handle here. Uh, good morning. On a Monday, uh, we'll be covering more big story about the Santa Fe shooting, uh, the aftermath, uh, and uh, we've got uh, the Mueller investigation, some news on that one coming up. And then, of course, the North Korea meeting also. We'll talk about that at 9 o'clock. In the meantime, back we go to Guy Adami with Mula Monday. So, Guy, uh, a quick word about student loans. And I was just reading that some companies, very few at this point, but it looks like this may become a trend, are offering to pay some of the student loan offs to employee. Uh, some of the student loans, yeah, pay off it's student huge. loans. Yeah. Oh, it is huge. It's, uh, I thought it was only on its way to becoming big, but it's already big? It's Well, it's, it's on its way. I'm, I, my point is the fact that they're considering this and some companies are actually doing this is huge. Seventy percent of students, uh, graduates, have student loan debt. I think the average is, I don't know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, maybe a little bit more. But quite frankly, I think most people have a whole lot more. And if you can help in some way, you know, if a company pays $100 a month towards your student loan, uh, you know, that could cut years, literally years off the duration of that loan. So it's a windfall for these kids. And, you know, the statistics I've seen, you probably saw them as well, students are saying this is almost as important as 401K contributions, and I would agree. All right. Uh, but what it is is a $100, $150 a month raise. Already, Effectively. Yeah, already people are getting a lot more money who are coming into companies uh, because unemployment is so low, and then the standards are pretty high in terms of technical skills needed. Uh, and so they're getting good money. They're getting good benefits. And uh, now it's uh, j just another perk, isn't it? It's effectively it's another perk. I mean, that's one way to look at it. But, you know, you could say the tightening job market, you know, as competition for these employees gets tighter, you have, to, you have to incentivize them with something. So maybe that's just one way to sort of couch this. You're right. Effectively, all it is is really a raise. But if you could say, you know, if you could couch it as, hey, we're going to not only we're we going to pay you X, but we're also going to help you uh, each month pay back your student loan. I think that becomes very attractive. And remember, 70 percent of this economy here in the United States is driven by the consumer. And if these young people don't have money to spend, it's going to be could potentially be a huge drag on GDP. So. This, to me, makes a lot of sense, no matter what you say, raise, uh, help, aid, whatever adjective you want to throw in there. I think this is a really important thing, and it just it, it doesn't solve the problem. I mean, education is still ridiculously too expensive, um, but it helps alleviate some of the symptoms, right. I guess. Uh, you graduated high school, didn't you? Uh, barely. Okay, just asking. Yeah. Hey, one of the things... Exactly, well said. Uh, continuation school? It was one of those at night things. I did it, um, you know, from the from the quiet of my car because I, my parents kicked me out. I had a tough childhood. Yeah, it just sounds like it, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, real quickly on a stat that uh, we both know, and that is student loans uh, at this point, outstanding loans are what one point five or one four trillion or something. Yeah, that is that's and a half dollars. Yeah, that's twenty five percent. Yeah, that's twenty five percent of the entire budget of the United States. How is that sustainable? It's and unsustainable. And how much of that is not paid in terms of the default rate? I don't know what I should know what the default rate is. I don't. But what I will tell you is it's unsustainable, but they're not making any more Stanford's anymore. They're not making any more MIT's anymore. And they're not making any more of the University of Phoenix's anymore. And it just becomes a supply demand thing. So if Bill Handel's not going to pay 70 grand to go to one of these schools, guess what? Somebody else is. And I don't know how you stop that because um, it's just basically economics. But to your point, this, this can't continue on. The trajectory of this loan rate and this debt cannot go on. I think this and auto loan numbers are going to be the next real bugaboo for the economy. Nobody wants to talk about it except you and I, but a lot of people are going to be talking about it uh, quite soon. Yeah, I, here's one of the, uh, the points I want to make, and uh, President Clinton said this, uh, President uh, Bush said this, is that everybody in America should have access to a college education. And since so few people can afford it, we're talking about going to crap schools, too. Your Stanford's, your Harvard's, uh, as you said, uh, the Ivies, people get jobs going out of that. That's not a problem. Uh, and so that's never an issue. But the rest of the schools where, you know, the jobs are not really tremendous coming out, especially if the economy goes the other way. Right. Uh, how, how do you sustain a philosophy that everybody deserves to go to college? Well, we could, well. That, this is a much, as you know, this is a much longer conversation. And quite frankly, I think everybody deserves to go, or everybody has the right to go. But I don't think it means everybody should go. I think there, there are a lot of great opportunities for kids in vocational schools. You know, we've gotten away from just trades. There's nothing wrong with having a trade. You know, a lot of these people will go to school and they'll come out. They'll be saddled with debt, and they have no future in terms of you know job. Uh, job offers and stuff, that's really a problem. So I think we've, as a society, we've seduced people into thinking they have to go to these schools, otherwise they're not going to amount to anything in life, when quite frankly, um, we built generations of people who don't have college degrees but have vocational jobs, and they did extraordinarily well yeah. for themselves oh, for and sure. beautiful families. Hey, when you went to high school, did they have shop classes? Hell yeah, they did. So, I mean, me too. I remember taking wood shop. You can always tell the wood shop teacher because he was always missing three fingers. Always. You know, it's funny. It's, funny. It's, it's not funny you say that. It's actually true. My guy was missing a thumb, which makes it's a problem if you're a shop teacher. But, yeah. yeah a, a thumb. I mean, a, how do you hitchhike? Well, he got, you know, I, I, sh I should say a portion of his thumb, you know, right below, right above the knuckle. But, but you know, it's painful nonetheless. I think he got it caught in one of those band saws. Yeah, it's you know. crazy. All right, Guy, thank you. Thank uh, you. Always a pleasure. We'll talk again next week. Okay, uh, coming up uh, next, uh, domestic gag rule on abortions. And uh, what, what is that about? We talked a little bit about this on Friday, and I'm just going to go expand on that. Uh, just another way to attack abortions in a sort of peripheral left hand around the corner way. I'll explain. KFI AM 640. <music> AM uh, 640 handle here on a Monday morning. 
All right, a lot going on today. Uh, Coming up, we're going to talk more about uh, North Korea, the meeting. Things have changed. We're going to have a fun one at 920. Uh, We haven't done this in a while, and that is uh, a Hitler story. Oh, yeah, when in doubt, always talk about Hitler. I watch the Hitler channel. I mean, people call it AHA or the old history channel. No, no, it's the Hitler channel. So I'm going to spend more time talking about that this morning because something just came up. All right, now, uh, just... uh, Trump administration on Friday uh, formally came out in favor of cutting off federal family planning dollars to organizations that perform abortions. Well, already there's no money for abortions uh, in this country. Not at all. Federal government cannot pay, according to law, any money at all for abortion. But this goes on because it continues on with the process. You know, if you, if a company or an organization performs abortion, no money Here's the difference. Even making referrals to abortion clinic. Now, the Trump administration wants to cut out any money. This is Title 10. It's a federal program, $260 million, which underwrites the cost of contraception, reproductive health services, STD screening for low-income and uninsured patients. Uh, The biggest recipient, of course, is Planned Parenthood that gets this money. And here is the fundamental premise of this Title X change. The administration believes that abortion is not family planning. And any organization that, I guess, even refers to abortion, saying, hey, you have a choice of abortion, here are places that, in fact, perform abortion, that in and of itself is considered an abortion position, and I guess... That is part of performing abortions, just talking about it and referring. And uh, the White House uh, said something rather extraordinary. And I love this, these, uh, how the White House somehow changes things around. That this change fulfills Trump's promise to continue to improve women's health. How does that work? Not talking about abortion continues to improve women's health. I guess talking about abortion and referring to organizations that, in fact, perform abortions, that in and of itself, I guess, hurts women, I guess. Uh, And that federal funds are not used to fund the abortion industry in violation of the law. I guess in sort of a roundabout way, uh, that can be argued that if Planned Parenthood, for example, refer someone to an abortion clinic can't do it but if they refer well actually they can if they separate it out uh and that is legal for as long as there's a firewall between the abortion services and the family planning services and the contraception and the std screening and so i guess in a roundabout way that is i guess you can say that but it's just the, the premise and uh, that it fulfills uh, the president's promise to continue to improve women's health by making sure they don't have access to abortion information. That's much like what the president said about Obamacare. I mean, I just love that. Under repeal and replace. We are going to repeal Obamacare. It's ended up. And because of that, you will get better insurance and better medical coverage. I know, wait, eliminating 20 million people from Obamacare coverage so they don't have insurance, 
is better insurance and better health care. Eliminating access to abortion or referrals is improving women's health in Trump world. I I don't get it. You have to explain this one uh, is that's new to me, but this isn't new. Uh, There's something called the Mexico City policy, which cuts off federal funding to worldwide health groups that provide abortions or back we go to now even provide information about abortions. So if you have a, some international health group that's out there in Africa or Central America, whatever, and helping women with mammograms and STD information and condoms, et cetera, and uh, even, I guess, mentions abortion, all money is cut off. Certainly uh, a referral is uh, off the table. Well, uh, Elizabeth Warren is uh, calling this the domestic gag rule, which it is. And it's just another way. And I've told you many times that abortion is legal in this country. As you know, it's a fundamental right. The government, no government, state, local, uh, the federal government can stop abortions. They are totally legal. Now, what they've done, of course, is make, make it as difficult as possible And various states pass these laws which winnow the ability to get an abortion. Kansas, for example, has one abortion clinic. Because of these arcane, well, not even arcane, because these rules that they have promulgated, uh, you you can only have an abortion within 30 miles of a a hospital, for example. And the rules are different for outpatient clinics. You have to do it, uh, you have to add uh, more security safeguards or more medical safeguards, even though, Uh, Other procedures that are more risky, you don't have to have those safeguards. And a doctor who does abortions uh, has to have privileges at the local hospital. And if the only local hospital happens to be a Catholic hospital, which, of course, there's no chance of privileges for a doctor who performs abortions, uh, it just goes on and on. But just another way uh, to make abortions as difficult as possible. So by the time the Supreme Court, which I think is going to happen, You have one more conservative judge that is appointed by the president, assuming Ruth Bader Ginsburg retires or dies by the end of uh, the first term of Donald Trump, and he doesn't get reelected, or if he does, I'm telling you, there are going to be three or four positions left in the Supreme Court. Roe versus Wade is going to disappear as a fundamental right. That's a guarantee. Does it change anything? Not really. Because it's already going, it's already so difficult to get abortions in jurisdictions that don't want abortions. It's not going to change much. California will always have abortions. By the way, don't misunderstand this. Uh, It's not a question of abortions being available. It's not going to make abortions illegal. It's simply going to make, when Roe versus Wade is overturned, it's simply going to make abortions not a fundamental right. That must be given to you. That you can't, it can't be stopped. Well, it's going to be stopped plenty, that's for sure. All right, coming up, asylum seekers head to Canada. A personal story, incidentally, not only about Canada, but about an asylum seeker who was a friend of mine. And I'll tell you that story uh, when we come back and your chance to win $1,000.
this one wasn't my fault, just to let you know. I'll tell you why it wasn't my fault. Because uh, I go to the microwave, right? I have to heat up my uh, my little morning uh, baguette okay. with ham and cheese. And someone was using the microwave. How dare they? For It was a full minute. And so what do I do? Well, I could come and do the show, or I could wait to heat up my ham and cheese. So I think we all know what your decision was. Priorities. Yeah. Here's your chance to win $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. If you win, they're going to call you. But if you don't answer, you won't win. Joyce and Artesia answered that call and she won $1,000. You've got another chance to win next hour. All right. Uh, when You know I went to school in Canada. Are you aware of that? I went to university in Canada, Simon Fraser University, which was decertified as a college by the Canadian government a few uh, years after I left. Wait, wait, wait. Haven't you now gone to two schools that have either one's been decertified and one is out of business? Yes. Wow. I'm a I'm a jinx. I'm not saying I'm I'm a jinx. I'm a jinx. I'm surprised Marjorie's still alive. (laughs) All right. So uh, while I was up there in school, I hung out with a group of friends And one of my friends happened to be a Volkswagen mechanic who, this was during the Vietnam War uh, era, and had come into Canada Canada and asked for landed immigrant status. Effectively uh, left the United States and said, I now want to be a Canadian. And so I asked him how that worked. At the border, he said, I want to be a Canadian. I wanted to live in in, in Canada. Now, at that time, the government of Canada was, in fact, very anti-war, anti-Vietnam War. They did not like what the United States was doing. So anything they could do to help uh, the people that are, were, uh, let's say, advocating we shouldn't have the war or leaving the United States because of the war, they wanted in. Now, you still had to have some skills, maybe. He came over. He was a Volkswagen mechanic. He came over uh, with his Volkswagen, filled with his tools, said what he did, his skill level. They let him in in two seconds. That's what Canada does. Same thing with asylum seekers now, except with one big difference between now and then. Asylum seekers are given hearings very quickly, and asylum seekers are given much more leeway in terms of being granted asylum. There's also a philosophy that once an asylum seeker is granted his or her status, then Canada wants them to work. And there's an entire program of uh, giving them help. First of all, they're entitled to all the benefits of Canadian citizens. The second, they're granted asylum. Done. You have the same benefits. You're not waiting. You, You have it all. The difference is, number one, of course, they make it easier. People are, if people want asylum, you're far better off going to Canada. It's just that when you have Central Americans, you have South Americans, they really don't think of Canada and they think it's such a long trek that it becomes impossible. But if you can get there, if they can get there, life is going to be a lot easier. So what is going on in Canada? Well, they're slowing it down because there's just too many coming, even as difficult as it is. The programs in Canada 
is way too many people. As a matter of fact, they go to work and they're still rejected. It's just that while they're here, they're able to work. So where asylum seekers come here and a hearing is now being scheduled, and sometimes it takes a couple of years in the United States. There it happens a matter of months. Uh, They just make it easier and quicker. So here, asylum seekers are put in detention. They're not here. It's it's a quasi-legal status. They're held off on deportation. And uh, they're not allowed to work. There, not only are they allowed to work, the government wants them to work. And then they kick them out because the majority are still denied their, they're denied their status as asylum seekers. And it's a deluge of irregular border crossers. So now that they can work, you know what's happening? There are companies up there, particularly in the Quebec region, that are desperate for employees. There are more jobs and there are people to do those jobs. So there are actually meetings at community centers in which the people have applied for asylum and have been granted a temporary stay in Canada, awaiting a decision by the immigration court, that they are asked to, they're given jobs, they're recruited, but they're in the same place as the United States is, the numbers are starting to really gallop forward, particularly from Central America. And therein lies a, a huge problem. And that is, is our federal prosecutors targeting Central Americans. And we're going to do that, uh, I guess, uh, a little bit later on. Okay, we're coming back. In the meantime, General. <laughs> Handle on the news. Late edition. Handle on the news. Uh, here we go. And now, here's Bill Handle. All right. Handle here in the morning crew on a Monday. Please donate to help the American Red Cross initiative to get prepared California for a $400 donation. You and a guest can enjoy cocktails and appetizers with all the KFI hosts and crew plus unlimited sky slide rides during an exclusive evening at the, the OUE Sky Space in downtown L.A. is 1,000 feet in the air. You have to be 21 or older. 100% of the proceeds will benefit the American Red Cross Get Prepared California campaign. Limited tickets. For details, log on to KFIAM640.com, and the search word is Mixer. All right, guys, ready to do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Handle on the news, late edition, lead story. Oh, tell me why. Even more chilling is uh, that the gunman, who uh, Demetrios uh, Pagurtsis, who the 17-year-old who shot up the Santa Fe High School, uh, was playing music, according to people who were in the room, making jokes as slogans. And uh, every time he'd kill someone, he would sing, another one bites the dust. Can you imagine being in the room when that happened? On just... Uh, it's almost beyond credulity that 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 is happening. We've talked a lot about you know, the aftermath and what is going on in, in Texas. Uh, you know, it's no big deal in Texas. Well, it's a big deal in Texas, but gun control. No one's talking about gun control in Texas. Lieutenant Governor uh, said it's not about guns. It's about people, kids watching uh, a bunch of uh, TV violence, taking Ritalin, 
Uh, it's not about the fact that teachers aren't armed. That's the problem. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy down there. Anyway, so it was just, I don't want to get into the politics of it. We're going to do plenty of that. But uh, just how horrible this situation was. Have we heard anything from this kid's parents? Yeah, they're already starting. But this is Texas. It's a very different world in Texas. But what I want to know is, where were those parents? Your kid is wearing a trench coat to school every single day. What, are you not looking at his social media? Are you not seeing him post stuff oh, like, not, we're not it's a hearing, good day to kill? Or, yeah, we're, not hearing, I mean, it's, we're not hearing much from his parents, other than they have no idea. Uh, we don't know how he got the gun. No idea how he was able to obtain the guns. Were they in a gun safe? We don't know. Did he have a combination? We don't know. And uh, they're as shocked as anybody. And then I'll bet you they are. But, you know, the, the problem, of course, is not the guns. Never is in Texas. Well, now that kid, even though he's 17 and 17-year-olds are considered to be adults when they commit crimes in Texas, he still probably won't face the death penalty and could end up being paroled. As a matter of fact, he won't. Yes, he absolutely won't face it, and he absolutely will, at least on paper, he will be eligible for parole. But this is whether they ever actually. Yeah, I don't think parole him is a different situation. But on paper, he will. In other words, he will not get life without the possibility of parole. Right, and only because Supreme Court has ruled, and anybody under the age of eighteen. Now, the uh, it's. I think you're right. This crime is so heinous that uh, 40 years from now, uh, they're still going to look back and talk about how depraved and heinous this crime was. This is not your normal, I've killed someone and I've gotten 40 years, uh, and then they talk about rehabilitation. I mean, he killed 10 people. And look at how he did it. I mean, he walked in there, and uh, much like the Manson murders, where no one was let out on parole. Even, uh, was it, Susan Atkins, who was dying of cancer and had six months to live. The parole board said, nah, the crime was too heinous. All right, uh, Mike Pompeo has a list for Iran of what they got to do. Oh, he gave him a honey-do list. Here are the things that Iran must do if they want to ever have a deal with the United States again. They have to stop launching missiles. They have to stop developing missiles that can launch a nuclear tip. They have to give uh, inspectors unqualified access to their missile sites all throughout the country. They have to release all U.S. citizens. They have to stop supporting Hezbollah and the Taliban. They have to get out of Syria, and they have to leave Iraq alone. They have to recognize yeah. the sovereignty of Iraq. Boy! Yeah, and if allow, they do all those things, it's not even Iran anymore. No, it really is. And they have to allow Beyonce concerts, which they will not. So you put all that together. Oh, so this is going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, good for us. You know, that's uh, tell me that we're not going to continue on with this fight with Iran for a, I don't know a century or so. Hey, were you recently pardoned? We've got a job for you. Hello, my name is Doctor Green Thumb. Hello, my name. Is- there's a company called Lowell that's known for its pre-rolled marijuana cigarettes, and they put up a billboard about a block from North Mission Street, about a half a mile from the Men's Central Jail in Twin Towers, that says, recently pardoned, we're hiring. And it looks like the only catch is that your record can only include nonviolent cannabis offenses. Right. And I don't even think, uh, what, well, I guess, does that include distribution? Does that include getting tons of, of marijuana? 
Well, no, they I don't think those people uh, are getting pardoned. Yeah, that's yeah. it. They're still in jail anyway. You know, they're still, yeah, that makes sense. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and finish up handle on the uh, news late edition. KFI, handle here and the morning crew. More handle on the news late edition. Jennifer Jones Lee and Wayne Resnick and me. And uh, Jennifer was telling us about the company that wants to hire uh, people who had. Marijuana convictions who've been pardoned. Well, in New York City, the mayor's told the police to stop arresting people for smoking pot. Yes. Although, to be clear, he's not saying don't prosecute them. He's just saying don't arrest. Give them, them. give them the summons. Right. But don't and let them come to court on their yeah, own time. Don't actually hook them up. Well, in, in. in some cases, uh, stop arresting them. Period. He was at a press conference when he said. Stop arresting people. Ugh. Okay, little uh, radio humor. That one at well, least we're going to need a visual for that one. His okay. name is almost Bill de Blasio, yeah. although it's not. Whoa. But almost. Hey, congratulations to Rye, West Covina's canine that made a giant bust over the weekend. Look what the dog dug Rye just got certified in narcotics detection in April of 2018. And over the weekend, some cops pulled over this 2010 Nissan Rogue. And the dog went a little crazy, found some stuff under the seat. Then they go and they impound the car. And Rye goes sniffing around and he finds more. Turns out 60 pounds of meth. A lot of meth. First time out. I know. First time out. Then he licked the bag and he was bouncing around (laughs) like he had a grand mal seizure. He was just bouncing all over the car. He did not. I didn't hear that part. Oh, my goodness. Well, all right. I love this 911 call. Guy calls the cops. Uh, I'm coming I'm coming home from the train station, and a pig is following me. They immediately go to the – this is in uh, Elyria, Ohio. They immediately get on their Facebook, the cops, and they make fun of the guy. Hey, Night Shift has to respond to this obviously drunk guy walking home from the bar. At least he was drunk enough to call the police on himself, right? Turns out, two things. One, there is a bar called the train station. So when he said train station, they assumed he meant the bar. (laughs) They show up. He didn't mean the bar. He meant the Amtrak station. He was walking home from the Amtrak station. He was completely sober, and a pig was stalking him. It was all true. Fantastic. They got the pig into the cop car and uh, reunited get, it with its owner. And I luckily, the pig did not what, attack. You get a pig into a cop. I, how is a pig not going to destroy the backseat of a po- uh, cop car? My brother has a pig. And, oh, you've never seen uh, Mr. Tubbs? Mr. Tubbs is Mr. your brother's Yeah, pig? my brother is a 300-pound pig. Does he have a farm? No. No, he has a house with a pig. His, he calls him his dog, but he really has a picture. I think there's a picture of it on, uh, I, I put it up on uh, Facebook or the website you know, just a couple of years ago. And you'll see uh, Mr. Tubbs. Final piece of the puzzle. Well, you know what? Here's the thing, though. Given given what happens in the back of cop cars when people are arrested, yeah. the pig might have been a nice treat for those cops. True. Well, you know those gun belts that cops wear? And they cause the cops to pull up their pants all the time. Well, now apparently they can save their lives, too. Yeah. It's one of those great stories. A bullet hit the belt buckle. Man. And the guy was, uh, when you think about it, when it hits the belt buckle, if it didn't, it goes into the gut. That is a serious, serious wound. Yeah, but this, uh, it was a cop in Arizona 
and a guy starts shooting at him, and the the bullet that would have hit the cop ended up hitting his belt instead. Yeah, good for him. And Lucky man. cop's okay. Now, there's video of this next event at KFIAM640.com, keyword handle. Some Houston police officers are under investigation for how they ordered some people to get out of a car. They got on the loudspeaker and they said, hands up, pretend like we're going to shoot you. And I guess uh, that's no good. I guess not. not. to do that. Now, on the other hand, I'm not going to defend it, but I can see a defense here saying that that guarantees that they are going to comply. They're going to not bolt. They're not going, they're not, the the cops are saying they won't take a chance of doing or saying something wrong. If you assume we're going to shoot you, uh, that is not a bad way to deal with the police at a stop. There are, how many people, uh, well, you know, people who have had problems with cops, minorities, who look at police officers where it's an altercation and they already make that assumption. I had better uh, act, and even if it's subconsciously, like they're going to shoot me. Uh, therefore, I'm going to do everything to make sure he doesn't, you know, hands up in the air very slowly, never make any furtive, quick moves. Uh, so, you know, I... I Let's see what happens, whether they get in trouble or yeah, not when the investigation's I, done. Yeah, I don't know. I think the moral of this next story is you might not want to speak Spanish in Montana. I know, this is crazy. This woman and her friend are at a gas station in Montana, and they get approached by a Border Patrol agent who detains and questions them. And he says, ma'am, the reason I ask you for your ID is because I came in here and saw you guys are speaking Spanish, which is very unheard of up here. I don't think the moral of the story is don't speak Spanish in Montana. The moral of the story is this guy's a jerk. Yeah. That too. Yeah. And I it, literally he detains them because they're speaking yeah. Spanish. That's not probable cause for anything. Not even close. I mean, I understand they hear Spanish less up there. This is sure a, they a, do. in the north part of Montana, right near the Canadian yeah. border. Still. I understand that, but still. It's like a, a, a Montanian getting arrested down here for doing moose calls. Hey, we don't do many moose calls here in Southern California. You Come might, on, you I'm might detain be from, you. Yeah, you might be an illegal from Moose-landia. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're done. Uh, North Korea, the risks are coming big. It could be that uh, the president jumped the gun a little bit here. All right, we'll talk about that when we come back. KFI AM 640. KFI Handle here on a Monday, May 21. Uh, Some of the big stories that we are covering is uh, the president has demanded the Justice Department look into whether the FBI spied on his presidential campaign, the informant, for political reasons and not for the investigation of the Russian intervention. All right. Now, a little bit about North Korea. Uh, President Trump is increasingly concerned and legitimately that uh, that meeting coming up in Singapore could turn into a political debacle and embarrassment. And according to the New York Times, fake news has begun pressing aides and allies. Should I even go forward with this and take the risk? Because here's what happened. Uh, The president was both surprised and angered, although experts in the world of North Korea said he should not have been surprised at all. Uh, Because on Wednesday... The North's chief nuclear negotiator, 
declared the country would never trade away its nuclear weapons capability in exchange for economic aid. Now, uh, that statement sort of happens uh, by the North on a regular basis. First of all, it's you're declaring war on us. Uh, Any defensive measure is a declaration of war. Anytime there is a test of a nuclear device uh, anywhere near that part of the world, it's a declaration of war on North Korea. And exercises between South Korea and the United States is a declaration of war against North Korea. So uh, it was a statement that was made by Kim Jong-un saying the de- uh, saying that the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula is the goal. And uh, as we've been talking, our definition of denuclearization and his are very different. And uh, here is why the president was sort of up in the air, go, what the hell's going on? Why? Because uh, on uh, it's because North Korea simply changed its tune overnight. See, here's where I think the president is a little naive. And that is because of his lack of experience, because he doesn't pay attention to his North Korean experts and CIA analysts, et cetera. I think once a deal is cut or you're on your way to a deal, to a deal maker like the president, all right, we basically have a deal on the table. To completely reverse oneself is something that's out of the realm of the way this president functions. I mean, a deal is a deal. Case in point, uh, as you know, I'm involved in surrogate parenting. Really handle? Yes. And I've had clients from the Mideast. Many, many clients from the Mideast. And there is a cultural difference. Once they decide to go ahead and retain us, okay, we're done. And uh, after the retainer is in, right, after they have signed, they say, now what's the discount? I go, what do you mean what's the discount? You signed. We shook hands. Yes. We have a deal. What's the discount? I go, we have a deal. Yes, we do. Now let's talk about a discount. It's a different mindset. And I think what's happening with President Trump is not appreciating that North Korea, there is nothing sacred about a deal. Nothing. There is nothing sacred about uh, the word of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. What, you're going to believe the guy? Look at the history of the Kim family throughout its entire rule of North Korea. So the president is going, whoa, this may not be looking so good all of a sudden. Now, there's the other side of it, too. And there are some concerns among analysts saying if the president, the president, if he's willing to abrogate the Iran deal, why would he not abrogate this deal? And that's the assumption that North Korea uh, could be making, although I don't think that for a second. I think the president would never abrogate a North Korea deal. You know why? Because it's his deal. He's fine abrogating a a Barack Obama deal because it was a Barack Obama deal. Once he cuts a deal, he's cut the deal. So I'm not worried about that at all. I don't think the president would renege on a Korean deal at all. But the stakes are raised like crazy.
And if it comes to, and he even he said, everyone thinks he deserves a Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts. Well, it's certainly going to be, he's going to be on the short list if it turns out that there is a deal cut with North Korea and the United States and South Korea. And the possibility of war is averted to the point where it's really not going to happen. It's minimally going to happen. But here's the problem that Kim Jong-un had. And I don't even know why uh, Kim Jong-un has even agreed to sit down. Why? Because the United States has said, we want total denuclearization, and here are the terms. You get rid of your capability, you get rid of your missiles, you get rid of your testing, you get rid of everything, and you're going to get the sanctions uh, released the sanctions lifted and will help you out financially. Well, the experts are saying there's no way that Kim is going to give up all of his capability, all of his missiles. And this is verifiable is what the United States wants. Not only all, does he give all of that up, but we have to have inspectors go in, snap inspections going in. And so this thing may collapse before we know it. And it could put the president in somewhat of an embarrassing uh, position because he's the one uh, that said, I'll meet with him. I think that the president isn't in Kim's, uh, I don't think he's at the same level with Kim, and not in a negative way. I'm not saying that Kim is a better negotiator. I'm not saying that Kim Jong-un is a, a a better reader of uh, what's going on. Certainly Putin is. I mean, the, our president is not in the same league as, uh, as Putin, Vladimir Putin. But when it comes to Kim, I think what the president assumes is that Kim Jong-un is not an utter liar from beginning to end. That there isn't a truthful bone in his body. And ignores the fact that North Korea has negotiated before, and it all meant nothing. During the Clinton era, they got tons of aid. They destroyed a nuclear reactor right there in front of everybody. Remember you saw those uh, th- that video of that reactor going down and the implosion? It was a paper mache reactor. It was a reactor that was built in 1912, which is some trick, by the way, I have to tell you. I mean, that's the reality with this guy. And so uh, the president may pull back, realizing that there's never going to be real negotiations with Kim Jong-un. That it's just Kim Jong-un sitting down and pretending and lying and being duplicitous and seeing what he can get and not giving up any of his capabilities. I mean, that is the way it's looking at this moment. All right, coming up, uh, let's just have fun. It's a Hitler conspiracy theory that has been revisited. Why now? I'll tell you why now. This is KFI. That's springtime for Hitler and Germany. Deutschland is happy and gay. Oh, yeah. All right. First, your chance to win some money. Your shot at $1,000 now. 
Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. If you win, they're going to call you. But if you don't answer, you won't win. Joyce and Artesia answered that call, and she won $1,000. You've got another chance to win next hour. All right. Uh, why is it that yet another uh, Hitler story is uh, now afoot? Well, uh, let me tell you what happened. First of all, uh, we know what happened to Hitler, right? Uh, he and Eva Braun's body, they committed suicide in the bunker in Berlin, and then taken outside, a ditch was dug, and uh, he, he and Eva were thrown in there, and uh, gasoline or kerosene was poured all over them, and they were set on fire. So... The Russians show up. This is just a, a day or two before the Russians uh, actually uh, took over Berlin. And uh, they uh, got the body. They buried the body. Then they exhumed the body and buried it again. And it has been finally uh, destroyed. Or it's buried under just a parking lot somewhere. Okay, so uh, last year a team of French researchers persuaded the Russian government to let them inspect the last two bits of Hitler known to exist because the Russian government actually kept a chunk of skull and a set of disgusting teeth, which they said was Hitler. Okay, so that, that's pretty much proven that they were Hitlers. And as a matter of fact, uh, the uh, French researchers, uh, yeah, they agreed. Matter of fact, they confirmed that's Hitler. And uh, those fragments uh, were compared to uh, the, a war-era autopsy record and concluded with uh, also uh, the teeth of Hitler and dental records. Yeah, that's the guy. Okay, so according to uh, the French researchers said, there is no doubt our study proves Hitler died in 1945. He didn't flee to Argentina in a submarine. He is not in a hidden base in Antarctica. He's not on the dark side of the moon, all of which are theories. So when you talk about these conspiracy theories that abound today, Infowars, uh, all of that crap, Obama born in Kenya, it just goes on and on. It actually has been going on since Hitler. Hitler stories are the granddaddy of these uh, various conspiracy theories. And how is that possible, even though virtually every mainstream historian said this? Of course, this is what it was happening. He, was, he committed suicide with Ava Braun, and he was killed. There were people in the bunker. Well, it started with that the government, remember the government of uh, Germany was still there as Hitler died. It was a few more days before the surrender actually took place. And Hitler at that point was gone. So uh, on the day after his suicide, government still in place, a German admiral addressed the country by radio. I think it was Donuts. And he had announced Hitler had died a few hours earlier, fighting at the head of his troops, that he died heroically. Uh, so that started all of this uh, rumors. So it went on, right? The great submarine escape, that rumor. Well, actually, there were some Nazis that did escape via submarine and ended up in Argentina, where there 
were they're dead now, but there were so many Nazis that survived and lived a great life, I might add. So part of uh, the conspiracy is three days before suicide, Hitler ordered two corpses to be dressed as himself and his wife, Eva. He waited until midnight, slipped out of his bunker with a secret tunnel, went through the city of Berlin, which was all bombed out, rendezvoused with an airplane, flew to Denmark, Spain, and then got himself into a submarine and ended up in Argentina. Okay, that's a conspiracy theory. Then there's Adolf Schudelmeyer and friends. There is a photo uh, that comes out in 1955 where two men uh, were photographed in Colombia the previous year. Uh, One of them was a former German SS trooper. And the man on the right strangely looked enough like Hitler. He had changed his name to Adolf Schudelmeyer. Now, if you're Adolf Hitler... And you're changing your name. And you are trying to hide, cover your identity. Are you still going to use the name Adolf? All right. So that one didn't go. Well, that's just part of the conspiracy theory. I bring that up because there are so many theories out there. And it's become so mainstream that unfortunately the conspiracy theorists are almost, uh, in terms of numbers, may be bigger than those people that aren't. Hitler escaped to a secret Antarctic base. Now we're getting a little ridiculous. You don't want to know something? How many thousands of people buy that? Right? Uh, Now, still the same submarine escape story, but instead it goes to Antarctica. Because there was a secret Nazi ice base in Antarctica. Why not? And then my favorite one, Moon Hitler. He's watching. Why not? Why not? So the French have come up and said it's definitive. We have proved it. There is no issue. He was killed or he committed suicide, died in the bunker, and then was burnt and picked up and burnt and then buried. And the Russians, well, the Russians actually hid all of that for so many years. Instead of making it all public, it's, uh, it becomes a conspiracy theory. This one is never going to go away. It's like John F. Kennedy. It's never going to go away that there was a conspiracy and there are so many pieces that are missing. Actually, there are pieces that are missing with JFK. His brain. Did you know that? Look it up. JFK's brain. Missing. Mm-hmm. Put into a sort of a aluminum metal tin thing. Container. Look it up. Okay, coming up, do they have a case? Wayne Resnick and me. Sure, why not? Let's have a good time. This is KFI AM 640. You are about to enter the courtroom of Judge Bill Handel. The people are real. The cases are real. The rulings are final. This is Judge Handel. is hereby adjourned. Thanks very much, everybody. <laughs> no, I have that wrong. <laughs> I have. We should do the Oyez, Oyez, Oyez. Oh, yeah. yeah all stand for the court. We should. Yeah, we have a good time doing all.
Anyway, Handel and uh, the morning crew on a Monday, May 21. We're asking you to please donate to help the American Red Cross initiative to get prepared California for your $400 donation. You and a guest can enjoy cocktails and appetizers with all the KFI hosts and crew, plus unlimited sky slide rides during an exclusive evening at the beautiful OUE Sky Space in downtown L.A. You have to be 21. 100% of the proceeds will benefit the American Red Cross. Get prepared California campaign. Limited tickets for details. Log on to KFIAM640.com, and the keyword is Mixer. Okay. Now, yep, it's that time again. Do they have a case? Same rules apply. Wayne looks up cases, researches them. One of three different kinds of cases. In the court, has already been decided by a judge. Under appeal, decided by appeals. That's four, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Four different ways of doing it. That's like a pizza with four cheeses instead of three. Okay, All now, right. uh, here's the thing, though. I'm unprepared because earlier... Oh, yeah, let's just do that. You You're right. said that you wanted to use the, this time to do, yep. did they have a case? Right, you know what? You're uh, right. Because You're I right. was gone on jury duty. That's true. You're right. You're right. I so, mean, I have I have the cases in my head. No, I just don't no, have no, let's the just, cases no. right in front of let's me. Let's do that. I had uh, We had done it a little bit on Friday. I, just, I don't think we ever got to it at all. Yeah, we did a because little bit. Because of all the events. I don't remember. No, anyway. we did a little. That's where my head was at for a moment. Oh. We did. Okay, so Wayne last week sat on a jury trial. It was a criminal trial. He started as a an alternate. Right. And then became, and then because of various people dropping out, which you don't know why, because the judge never tells you, you ended up being a juror. So, if you would, would you explain what happened well, first of all, this was amazing to me that I ended up on a jury because I've never gotten onto a jury in my entire life, as you might imagine. Uh, yeah. Federal law enforcement. And then also people told me that uh, if it ever came out that I worked for this radio station, that that would be another reason that you would never get on a jury. And the, and the lawyers knew that you were. Well, they didn't know what radio station because they didn't ask me. Okay. And I didn't offer. All right. Uh, but I ended up being kept as one of the alternates. And it was interesting because they also kept a guy who was former military police and a former Bureau of Prisons Corrections officer. They kept him, the defense did, as well as another guy that was a civil attorney. Wow. That's how desperate they are for jurors. Uh, you can't get out of jury uh, out of a jury uh, anymore. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something. There's a big problem with, and I'm not trying to start anything, there's a big problem with language because when we went into the courtroom, the first thing that happened is they were voir people about seven or eight jurors who were in the box being voir all went to sidebar. I think because the first one did it, they all followed suit. And it basically turned out they did not speak English well enough to serve on a jury. And, and they, they had were, to be, they were And I'm assuming it was, sent all, out of it was all over the place. You had, I'm sure you had Latinos, Hispanics, only, yep. only because of the population base. Uh, but did you have any other? No. Very, just not, a, not on this case. It was all, it was all Spanish speakers. Okay. And uh, it made me think that they should somehow have a way of screening people before they send them into you a courtroom. Because so. that's one of the reasons, I think, why I ended up on the jury. By the time I was in the box, there were only three people left in the jury pool. 
And that's when you get down to the real calculation of, all right, we could get rid of this guy, but we don't know what's left and we don't have enough left. A lot of people don't understand that part of the strategy of a criminal trial, even a civil trial, is what jurors do we accept? What jurors do we bounce? Peremptory challenges, which means you can throw anybody off for any reason and you've got X number eight or whatever that is. uh, And then you argue for cause. You know, for example, if uh, on the jury was uh, the uh, the cop who actually arrested the defendant, which the judge would probably say, "Ah, eh, he's sitting on the jury." <laughs> no, I've I've never seen anybody dismissed for cause. I know it happens, but it's usually just these peremptory challenges where they don't have to have a reason. Yeah, I was dismissed for cause. Is that when you told them you were a big racist? Yeah, no, it was not quite. I was a big racist, but it was. I mean, you can argue that it was a racist. It was I was anti-illegal alien is what I was. Oh, oh, oh. And right, the guy right, right. happened to be a Latino, but I would have done and, the same thing if he was a Swede mm-hmm. or if he was, uh, you know, wherever he came from. And uh, and I assumed he was illegal, so I wasn't going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I told the judge, oh. hey, I'm nailing him, and you can't do that to anybody. So I got tossed no, for a cause. Not. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and take a break, and then we're going to come yeah, back. Then I'll just gonna... tell you quickly yeah. what the case was and how it turned yeah, out. and how it all cool. turned out. So we'll be right back. Uh, do they have a case? We won't know till next week. No, you'll know in the next. You'll no. know in the next segment well, if they had to, a case. Right as to this one case that you happen yes. to be on. The... This is the judgment. handle here on a Monday, May 21. Some of the big news we're covering is uh, in the aftermath of Santa Fe shooting in Texas. Texas is taking a very different tact on gun control than did Florida a couple of weeks ago. All right. Uh, back we go to do they have a case? And it's Wayne. We're doing something a little bit different this time around because it's Wayne's case. That he was on last week. He was on the jury. So really quickly, let's talk about what the case was about and what you did as a juror. Charge was attempted robbery. Uh, First, I'll give you the government's, you know, theory of what happened. You got this guy. He uh, goes up to an old lady selling avocados outside of a John's Market in Los Angeles and um, punches her. And either takes avocados or tries to take avocados from her. So that's their theory of the case. Attempted robbery. We acquitted. This was a super BS case. How so? Well, there were two witnesses about what happened at this at this avocado stand. It's not really a stand. It's her sitting in a chair. Uh, one of them is the victim. So the victim testifies that the guy came up to her with some aluminum foil. I don't know if this is true, that there's a big uh, aluminum foil economy on the streets of L.A., but she said he came up and wanted to sell her aluminum foil. And she said no. And he tried to sell her aluminum foil again, and she said no, and then he punched her and scooped up a bunch of avocados and put them in a bag and ran off. Okay. There was another witness who supposedly was there, who said she heard a scream and then she turned around and then this guy was running away with avocados. Now, here's the problem. (laughs) 
there were so many inconsistencies in their stories that I was surprised they took it to trial at all. I was kind of surprised they even charged the guy with attempted robbery. The, the avocado lady testified that he scooped up a bunch of avocados and ran away. But they also had the police officer who talked to her at the time testify. And he testified that she told him he didn't take anything. That's a pretty big discrepancy. Oh, yeah, that's huge. The obviously. witness also said, this is the other thing. The avocado lady said he came up with foil. He, like, showed me this foil. The other lady said she was selling aluminum foil and he stole aluminum foil from her and that there were boxes of aluminum foil next to her avocados that she was selling, but she testified she was not selling anything except avocados. So you can see how it's a huge, confused mess. So we go into the jury room and uh, the first vote were about evenly split. And uh, the foreman was this lawyer guy. Everybody went, you're a lawyer, you're the foreman. And so he said, why don't we just go around the room and everybody can talk for a couple of minutes about what they're thinking. And it turned out that basically the people who were voting not guilty at that point, which included, interestingly, that lawyer, me, and the guy who was a former military police prison guard. We were all not guilty from the start, as well as a woman who's an instructor at USC. I'm not trying to make the case that the people who had more education on that jury didn't buy the case for a minute and that the people who did were not as smart, but that's what happened. And as people would talk about it, basically the people who were voting guilty would say like, well, you know, he's guilty because he took the avocados. Like, wait a minute. I'm not sure they even proved that he took any avocados. So we went around and we all spoke. And after we went around and everybody had a chance to speak, all the uh, guilty People folded and changed their vote to not guilty. Just in one go, go round. In one go around because they finally started focusing on whether they ever proved that he intended to rob her of avocados. Everybody believes something happened. They had some kind of a bad interaction because the cops were called and they came and this guy kind of tried to get away. So we all believe something happened. And we were all wondering... Why not charge him with assault? Because almost everybody believed that he did hit her. Why not charge him with attempted theft, maybe? Why robbery? And uh, What are the elements of robbery? Well, you have to uh, take somebody's property, and you have to use force or fear in order to take it, and you have to intend to permanently deprive them of the property. So one problem was... There, there, one of the witnesses said he took avocados and then he came back and threw the avocados at two other ladies who were sitting there. So if you believe that, he didn't intend to deprive her of the avocados forever because he came back and threw them and she could just pick them up again. So that was weird. But here was the main thing. We couldn't decide whether he formulated a plan, I'm going to punch her and take her avocados, or whether he just got mad And he punched her, and there was some confusion about whether he was trying to take avocados or he was just trying to knock over her avocados. So they never, they were not able to prove uh, intent at all. And finally, everybody sort of agreed that, well, 
it's equally likely that he just got mad and tried to be disruptive. So were you able to talk to the prosecution after the case? No, you know what they say? They always say, I guess they always say, I've only been on this one jury. They say, hey, they might want to talk to you and they'll be outside in five minutes, but they never came. I think neither of these attorneys wanted to talk about the case, especially not the prosecutor who lost horribly. So here's my theory of why they went for attempted robbery. And I can't prove it, but I have 28 years of experience that tells me that guy had a record and they wanted a felony. And they were hell-bent on a felony against him, maybe to give him a strike or maybe even a second strike. And so they puffed up the case into a robbery and they lost the opportunity to get him for what he probably did, which is punching her and maybe causing a disturbance. And one of the defenses, he took her avocados then to make guacamole and then bring it back to her. But I'm assuming that didn't come up. That was not anybody's theory, not even the defense. Okay, that's it. We're done, guys. Uh, Coming up, uh, Gary and Shannon. uh, And we'll be back again tomorrow. Handle and the morning crew, KFI AM 640.